Welcome back to the first episode in 2021 of the Fez Talks podcast. I, of course, am your host, Fez. Today, Deep Space Nine with a very special guest. Without any further ado, let's get into it. So today on the podcast, we're talking Deep Space Nine, and my very special guest is someone who also podcasts, one of the hosts of Trek Off and Totally Super, Justin. Justin, say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. It's me. Uh, how's everyone doing today? Uh, you and I met because of Trek Off and New Voyages. I ended up doing a podcast with you and Alexia, but before we get into DS9, tell me your Star Trek story, even though I know DS9 is your favorite show as of this moment. Yeah, it's it's still my favorite. It's still my go-to. It's my security blanket, so to speak, I guess. The truth is I'm really finding this current iteration of Star Trek to be pretty spectacular. I think that Picard hit me in huge ways. Season 3 of Discovery hit me in huge ways. It's probably on every measurable level better than anything that came before. But that's like that's like anything. Right. I have this conversation with my dad about um, music. My dad's a huge guitar rock fan and he will swear to me that the pioneers of, of when he was a kid, like Jimi Hendrix and stuff, were the best that ever were. And, you know, the fact is, is that technically your standard studio musician today is better than any of the greats from the 60s because they studied the greats of the 60s and the other greats, and that was part of what made them able to do what they can do today. So on every possible production level, the right, uh, if you look at Discovery and Picard, the writing's better, the acting's better, the effects are better, the editing is better, the production level's better, everything's better because it's just as TV progresses, TV will improve in its, in its ability to make TV. Uh, that being said... Stuck on a desert island with nothing else to watch? Probably Deep Space Nine when it comes to Star Trek. So, yes, it remains my favorite. It's an interesting discussion to say, is better better? If it doesn't give you that thing that you're, that thing that you're looking for, is the fact that it is in every technical aspect better? Does that make it better or not? I guess it's something that we can talk about eventually. In terms of my Star Trek story... Um, it is a long and varied tale that goes many, many places, but I was in seventh, sixth, sixth grade, I think is where I was, sixth grade, and I was living in Williamsburg, Virginia, and Star Trek came on every day at five in 1986. It came on every day at five, every day at five. There became this new rumbling of this new Star Trek that was going to be coming on, and I was like, ooh, a new Star Trek, this is crazy. You had the movies, and you had the 60s show, and Next Gen showed up, and I was really into it for a little while. I really was, was incredibly into Next Gen for like a year, and then I sort of fell off. I became a huge Quantum Leap fan, which was on at the same time. And kind of fell off watching Star Trek a little bit. But 
the summer after ninth grade, I went to camp. And when I went to camp, I met at this camp that I went to the, the girl who would then become my wife years later, uh, who was my pen pal. And I was just lamenting that I couldn't see her and that she was in New York and I lived in Maryland. And the I got home and I was supposed to stay at a friend of mine's house and that friend's mom had no idea that I was going to be staying with her. And I had nowhere to go because nobody was home at my house. So I went to a different friend named Sam, who I didn't know that well. And Sam said, well, since we're here, are you a Star Trek fan? And I said, well, I watched a little bit and uh, I watched the first season of Next Gen. I thought it was pretty good, but then I started to fall off. And he said, oh, no, sir, you should see what happens. And so he showed me the season finale of Star Trek, of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation season three, which ends with, as far as I know, Tasha freaking Yar showing up in a Romulan outfit, stepping out of the shadows. And you go, what is, wait, she died. How can she come back? This is incredible. And it rehooked me for a little while. And I watched through high school and I watched when Deep Space Nine came out, but they started to lose me a little bit again because Deep Space Nine season one wasn't that good. And frankly, I had other things going on. I had a girlfriend. I did a ton of theater and music. I was producing music of my own. I just didn't have time to sit and watch a lot of TV. I became a movies guy. I was not a TV guy, but it so happens that I did watch the beginning of Voyager when it came out. That was an event, but it sort of fell away. And I became sort of the guy who used to be into Star Trek. So I get to my second year in college and I am studying acting at this point. I've decided that I'm going to be a professional actor and I'm going to college in Georgia and Paramount Parks is doing a series of auditions. And at the time I was sort of long and skinny, had a little, a little like bottom half of a goatee going and, and gosh, Goob, I had, I, I had gotten my shaggy pretty good and I could kind of go around, you know, Zikes. and, and I thought I was pretty good at it. Um, I'm not that good as you just heard. And I went to the audition to play Shaggy for Shaggy and Scooby for Paramount Park somewhere in America, preferably near my home because I live near Washington, D.C. So I wanted King's Dominion, but I would have gone anywhere. And they said, so we're not interested in Shaggy, but have you ever watched Star Trek? I was like, as a matter of fact, I did watch a little bit of Star Trek. And they said, so we'd like you to read for this character called a Romulan. Can you see what a Romulan is like? And I had an idea of what a Romulan was like. And so I did the audition for the Romulan, did a series of callbacks. And eventually I was cast as a Romulan for Paramount Parks. And that was where my Star Trek journey really began in force. Because for the first two to three weeks, we would do this six days a week. We would have three hours of improvisational comedy training and character work and how to maintain a character no matter what happens because you're facing real life people and the other five hours a day for three weeks at and this is in 1997 dollars getting paid 20 dollars an hour plus paid benefits plus a housing stipend five hours a day six days a week 30 hours a week i was paid to do nothing but watch star trek so that i had an encyclopedic knowledge of everything romulan and then I was paid to keep up because at the time you had both Star Trek movies coming out and Voyager and Deep Space Nine coming out every week. And our season would begin in, you know, late March, early April. And you'd have people coming up and they would go, what do you, you know, do you know about this? And you had to know the answers to everything that's like right up to date to the episode that just showed. So I got paid pretty good money in 1997 to sit and watch Star Trek 30 hours a week, 
for three for three weeks. And that's what really hooked me because I knew it was good, but I didn't really know how good it was until I watched, you know, a hundred something hours of it. And by the end, I was hooked. I was like, I would watch this for free. Spent three years, uh, my first two years just doing it. The third year, I actually trained oncoming aliens. I worked with Klingons, Ferengi, and Romulans. Uh, and that was my bread and butter every summer during college was playing a Romulan, uh, working with a director that trained uh, directly with the people who made the show. My makeup was actually designed by Michael Westmore, who did the makeup for the show. He redesigned the makeup in a way that it could be done uh, in parks. And that was my journey into Star, Star Trek. I watched it uh, for a long time. And after I did my first feature film as a director, I met uh, my partner, Alexia. Um, who is uh, the person that I do Trek off with. We went to a Denny's. I was like, hey, are you into Star Trek? She said, yeah. I said, I'm thinking of podcasting. We did the Star Trek, the Star Trek podcast Trek off that is coming up on its 10th year next month. And, and about five years ago, we made the very first feature film documentary based on a podcast, which was the Trek off the motion picture movie that we did about our show. And now I'm here with you. Uh, talking more about Star Trek because that's what I would like to talk about more than almost anything. That is my long and storied journey into Treks. It was a good story. Yes, and you tell it well. Thank you. I've told it before. <laughs> so before I give you my overall thoughts on DS9, give me your thoughts overall on Deep Space Nine because I know DS9 is your favorite. Sure. Um... Kevin Smith, who's another guy that I really enjoy, once said this about Blu-rays. I think it was him who said it. He said that Blu-ray is sort of the last stop before what media was going to become. It's the fax machine where you used to write letters and now you send emails. But in between, there was faxing and you used to collect VHS and DVDs and now you stream. But between that is Blu-ray. There's old TV. There is TV as it used to be, where there's not really, outside of soap operas, and occasionally your hour-long dramas that are in prime time on, like NBC, your ERs and stuff. And even then, you weren't really expected to know what was happening throughout the show. You could come in, you could come and go, you could even watch some of it out of order, and it wouldn't really matter all that much. Deep Space Nine is the Blu-ray slash fax machine of modern television. It is the first show that I ever remember where it started to seem like one big story. And this was an enormous thing at the time for me that suddenly, instead of the argument that, hey, if you watch Next Gen, it's like a little mini movie every week, which was great to start with. Suddenly you had a show where it was like a full season of a story. I had never, like at the time, I had never seen anything like it. Of course, since then, you had Alias, Lost, Buffy, and now it's just the way that things are done. You have shows that are season-long arcs, even entire series-long arcs, and that's normal for now. But at the time, it was so incredibly weird and innovative and cool that you could get into side characters like Rom, where you could just get into where they are, or Garrick, or or Zial, people who just sort of showed up and on next gen would be one and done. Maybe they show up for an, like Moriarty, right? On next gen Moriarty shows up and you're into him. How cool would it be if you had like 15 episodes of Moriarty to really get into what he's all about, but he's one and done. He comes back one 
you know, one episode later, much later. And that's really all you get. And even your real recurring characters like Q or Kern or, you know, uh, Tomalak. They come and go and they're in six episodes, but you really don't get a lot of time to spend. So DSM was the first one where you got to feel that that overall are the, the arc of all these characters and the changes that they're all allowed to go through. Right. Because on next gen season three, Crusher is barely any different from season seven. Crusher season three, Jordy is barely any different from season. You know, even characters that are allowed to so, so-called change, you can go, well, Picard is less stern at the end and Data's more human and Worf is more relaxed, but it's really not that different. Then you look at next gen and you go, hey, Dax is a completely different person. And Garrick is one thing. And, and Ducat has been like three different characters over the course of the show. And you're, these characters are allowed to grow and change within the realm of Star Trek. It was so new and so innovative and so cool. It really was sort of, uh, pun intended, the best of both worlds when it came to Star Trek. That I got to get this overarching huge thing, but still it was still very Star Trekky. And if you want to make an argument against modern Trek, it it really could be considered less Star Trekky in some ways than the Trek that came before. But it was such a breath of fresh air, especially, you know, I, my opinions about Voyager are pretty clear that you had Voyager running at the same time that was still trying to do that episode by episode by episode thing. And it became clear that one was superior to the other. So yeah, DS9 is my favorite for that reason. I love going on the journey with these characters. The rewatch is great. Season one for the first time on DS9 is a little bit of a slog, but for me, it's now incredibly interesting to see how all these characters started and the stuff that they're building on. It's, it's a great show. And that is my argument for Deep Space Nine. How about you, sir? So as a kid, uh, Deep Space Nine, when it came out, I was like four or five. And I, when I got to watch it, it was on uh, WPIX, 5 o'clock on Saturdays. And it was always preempted, so I could never get into it. I uh, never got the appreciation that I have for it now. Netflix didn't exist yet, and we didn't have like dvds or blu-rays or anything um i always felt like i was missing something because i would i never got episode by episode what the story was um and that's the one thing that i love about deep space nine it's the thing that deep space nine does better than any other star trek show it's overarching story and then the mini stories within the big overarching story and then the character development and as a writer and a creative like you that's my bread and butter that's what i look for and uh i saw emissary a couple weeks ago and it sparked this idea for this episode of the podcast and yeah, it's the, the difference. Yeah, wow. I saw Cisco, Kira, Dex, Bashir, Miles, Odo, Quark there, and then seeing them again in What You Leave Behind, although, although Jadzia obviously wasn't there, um, being so completely different. That's what speaks to me. And... 
there are little things that irk me as a fan, like the Bashir Changeling thing, or being genetically enhanced all this time. I don't know how you feel about that, but I guess you're going to tell me exactly how you feel about all that. Yeah, I think that the you know, the retcon, it, it's always existed in TV, of course. There are things, even in Next Gen, even in the original series, you know, it's fun to watch them call him James R. Kirk. It's fun to watch how how people's origin stories change, where they're from changes. I think that Next Gen has their series of things, too. Um, I, I have, I mean, right now I'm in the middle of a Buffy and Angel rewatch. And I'm finding things in the first season that, that don't jibe with what comes later as they sort of figure out what they're doing. I think that Star Trek has a a problem in that it has always marketed its canon as being, it's all one big thing. It's all one big story is, is, is sort of the way that Star Trek was already always marketed. And they, that was by design and that's what they sold us. And that's important to note because they sold us the Encyclopedia of the Future, which I owned, and the the Star Trek Chronology, which I owned, and the Technical Manuals, which I owned. And the idea is, yes, every little bizarre, crazy adventure that Kirk went on where he meets Abraham Lincoln and deals with gangsters, it's the same universe where you know Picard is is having the inner light, and it's the same universe where you know Voyager is is turning into space slugs and somehow or another you have to deal with the retcons like they say warp 11 all the time with the original series but then you can't go past warp 10 and the the change of the star dates from the original series to the next you know the star date doesn't make that much sense and and things like that that happen the retcons are always an issue i think that with deep space nine they do make some mistakes and i think that the i don't mind the bashir was a changeling thing Yes, I guess the changeling could perform incredible microsurgery at one point. <laughs> and and I, I'm i okay with that much more than I'm okay with the clear, hey, we need to do something with Bashir. Let's make him genetically enhanced. It wasn't thought about as well as it could have been. And there are ways they could have done it. They could have said that, yes, he didn't have access to that part of his brain, right? Like there are, there are ways you could have written it. Like, oh, yes, he was genetically enhanced and he didn't know that he was genetically enhanced and he didn't have access to that. But then a shock to the head made it so that he now remembers that he was genetically enhanced and now he can do the things because it makes it so when you're watching season two and three and he's getting knocked out by people at really crucial times, you go, wow, he was super committed to this. He was super committed to nobody finding out. He was willing to let the entire station die in order that nobody would find out. And it would have been a simple line. It would have been not a simple line, but it would have been a different episode, which you could have done where suddenly old members, old memories start rushing back to him. And he realizes, oh, my gosh, I've been genetically enhanced this entire time. And that's an even better drama. Right. So he can go to his parents and say, wait a minute. One, why'd you do this to me? Two, why did you block my memory of it? You had no right to do that. That's that's a dramatic episode. You could have done that and still made the other stuff make sense. And to me, it was sort of like the writer was like, okay, genetically enhanced, let's go. And I feel like, again, because this is the fax machine of modern television, 
I think they didn't quite know how to do that yet. And I think that mistakes are going to get made when you're an innovator. Mistakes are going to get made, unfortunately. And I have to let things like that go because if I don't, then I'm just not going to be able to get the enjoyment out of it. So there's, have you ever seen the sequel to Silence of the Lambs called Hannibal? No, but I've heard of it. So there is a, there is a scene in Hannibal where Ray Liotta is sitting in a chair and Hannibal Lecter has done a, cra- a craniotomy and taken the top of his head off. So his brain is exposed and Ray Liotta is a very smart character in it. And Clarice is tied to a chair and she's forced to watch as Ray Liotta has to eat his own brain that Hannibal makes for him. The funny thing about the scene, cause the scene is actually remarkably funny is that as Hannibal cuts out pieces of Ray Liotta's brain, Ray Liotta gets stupider over the course of it. So by the end, he's like, hey, man, no, this is really good. And you're watching him get stupider and stupider as his brain is cut out piece by piece. And what I've done is when I'm sitting next to my wife and we're watching something and something like Bashir happens, I just bring my head over to her and I go, scoop, scoop, please scoop. And that's what I have to do with Bashir is I have to scoop a little piece of my brain out, make myself slightly stupider so I can still enjoy what I'm watching. Because if I think about it too much, yeah, it sucks. It's a, it's a bad choice done badly on a really good show. And I like, the thing is, I like genetically enhanced Bashir better than non-genetically enhanced Bashir. Clearly, they had run out of things to do with Bashir. He had become kind of a boring, incidental character. He hadn't changed much. And they, I like what they did with him. I don't like how they did it. And I don't like what it does to the things that came before. So I have to let, you know, I have to scoop a little bit so I can get past the hurdle so I can get to the other stuff that I like. Does that make sense? It's the, it's the, it's the nectarine of, of plots. I like nectarines, but it's a pain in the butt to peel them. You get stuff all over your fingers. It's, it's gross. I prefer my nectarines just given to me already peeled or cut but if I'm given a nectarine, I'll deal with the peel ah, so I can get the lovely juiciness inside. And that's how I feel about the retcons that they do. I have to deal with the gross, uh, I don't like the way they're doing this, but I like what I get from it, if that makes any That makes total sense to me, Justin. <laughs> the one thing I will say that Deep Space Nine does that encourages me more than Voyager, even though they have the first female captain as the lead, is the portrayal of women like Nerese or Jadzia, and eventually Esri and Cassidy Yates. Women in Star Trek, I have felt like, for the most part, especially in the original series and Next Gen, are you know usually side characters to the main char- to the male characters when you give someone like Marina Sirtis for example some meat she will chew the scenery and that's what she did in Picard which made me think where the hell was this and i bet if Gates or Denise had stuff like this something could have been made of it because those are all good actresses and they would have been able to chew all of that up 
now to Deep Space Nine, Nana is beyond a great actress. Originally, I actually hated Kira in the beginning, but watching her evolution, watching her journey, and now seeing her portrayal as someone who has PTSD, I can recognize it in her character and how she deals with it within the whole entire show. Sure, yeah. Hating her at the beginning is an important part of the journey of loving her at the end. That is, you know, because the her that she is at the beginning, even she hates, even Kira hates the Kira she was. And that's the journey that she goes through. Not every character has to be likable in order for us to appreciate them. There are characters that are, that, that watching a character like, oh, it's not like Odo's particularly likable to start with either. And, and, and the way they go, but you make a really good point. 90s Star Trek, for as progressive as it was, um, here's what you need to know about 90s Star Trek. Despite making up between, you know, 5 and 10% of the population in real life, uh, people who are not straight don't exist. And despite being, you know, you know, 12 to 13% of the American population and a much higher percentage population of the world, there's about one brown person for every, let's say, 11 white people and there are almost no Asians and there are almost no there's like like only Dr. Bashir who is who is of Middle Eastern descent and he is about the lightest skin Middle Eastern descent that you could get and that includes you know is he Indian is he Arab they're kind of like lumping him into into he's like he's sort of just that region we have one that's that, that region but he looks mostly white and he speaks with a British accent and that's kind of all that it gives you um, it's still, even on a show like Deep Space Nine, is an incredibly cis white male dominated genre. I love one of the things I noticed about Discovery this season, and we talked about it in the last episode of Star Trek. There is not a single significant character on Discovery who is a straight white male. Not a single one. If you go through the cast, there's not a single straight white male in the cast of discovery you are right i just ran through all the main characters in my head and i really didn't you know pick up on that yep there are there are there are straight women there are straight men but they're black there are white men but they're gay there's non-binary people there's just across the board and it's the greatest thing about it is a non-issue. And this is one of the things that we talked about in the last episode of Star Trek, uh, of Trek Off, if you don't mind my digressing for a second, that Alexi and I talked about is that, is that she had a problem for a second about the non-binary um, character of Grey and I think Adira. Adira, is that her name? Um, and, the, and the way when Stamets is, pre is presented and she goes, she, she goes, actually, we call ourselves the, you know, they and them. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. And then just, it's a non-issue from that point forward. Alexei even had an issue with the fact that he would react at all. The idea being that he'd be like, all right. And that that, that should be how the conversation be, should be, even if the conversation should even happen. And the fact that we're at that point is an amazingly cool thing. Nobody's going, oh, a black person on the bridge. How fascinating. No, it's just like, it's a non-issue. It's just, it's people are people and they're there and they're there to do a job and they're good at their job and let's just move on. And that's, you know, and, and everything else 
is is who they are when you get to them, but they do it without. And one of the things DS9 did really well, and I to, to go back to to the portrayal of women and the portrayal of minorities, is they allowed, especially Cisco, and this was Avery Brooks's choice. You know, he wanted to be a representation of a black American man and not that he was just a Starfleet guy and happened to be like his culture was important to him, but was not something that interfered in any way with his ability to be a captain. And it wasn't just like, Hey, let's go melting pot. Everyone's sort of the same. We're all homogenous. No, he, the differences that he had were part of his strength. And I really get that on discovery. Um, that there are so many women and the fact that they react differently than men. I, I've seen people say, why is it that that Michael Burnham, ha you know, who if you haven't watched Discovery, Michael is a female. Why? Why is it that she has to cry every other episode? Well, you know what? That is how a common way that women process emotions that men do not. My wife cries considerably more than I do. That's just the way that she is and the way that I am. That doesn't mean that she's weaker. It a matter matter of fact, it doesn't mean that she's more out of control of her her emotions. If anything, she like the way that, that she does it is much like Michael does it. She lets the emotion hit her for a second. She processes in a healthy way, which sometimes involves cr crying for like a second. And then with her face still wet with the tears, she's processed. She's ready to get down to what she needs to do. And that way of, of, of showing not just women on the bridge, but or women who are somehow weaker. I We talk about, you know, the episode Q-Pid of Next Gen? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, well, it's not Vash I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about the fight at the end where all the men have swords and staffs and fight and, and, and Crusher, they pick up pots and they knock a couple of pots over people's heads. And that always bothered me because I was like, they should have the same training. So either they have to sort of be androgynous non-women like Admiral Necheyev, or they have to be so soft and sensitive they can only fight with pots. And instead, and in the Trekoff movie, Alexia talks about that. She says, um, I won't use the word she uses because I don't want this to become an R-rated podcast like ours is. Uh, but she says, she, she says about, about, about Janeway, she says, you know, that's all they give a B word. Uh, she, that's all you give a woman. She can be strong. That's all she gets to be. She's a strong woman. And she's like, I'm sick of strong women. I would like three-dimensional women who are, you know, people three-dimensional people, the way you, men, you know, the men on Star Trek all got to, at that point, be strong at some points, weak and other, vulnerable over here, or skilled over here, funny over here, but all that, you know, Janeway and Kira were allowed to be were strong. And I think that you, one of the great things about modern Star Trek, uh, Discovery and Picard, is that the you have a spectrum of the way that women are portrayed from being your stereotypical, you know, 80s and 90s, you know, frail femininity all the way across the spectrum to to being like Raffi um, and everything in between. And they're the fact that they are 
women does not make them any less strong and in some ways makes them even more strong. And I think Discovery is a great version of that. But that all started with your Kira's and your and your Jadzia's. And I think that everyone involved in Star Trek today would would happily say that, yeah, they and, and you know, Nichelle before them. And and I think that Star Trek has always wanted to push the boundaries, but until Discovery was afraid to really do it. And so I that's a long-winded, because I tend to be that, response to how I feel about women on Deep Space Nine. Sorry. That's okay. Um, you know, I was thinking it's funny you went on your soliloquy, and now it's time for me to take my turn and for my soliloquy on DS9. I'd love to hear it. Please do. My biggest problem with portrayal of anyone in Star Trek is that for the exception of the modern Star Trek like you said is that in those writers rooms in the 90s and the 2000s it was basically all men and what is a straight male going to do he's going to write from his perspective his male perspective he's probably not going to ask his gay friends his bi friends his women friends and on and on and on to get their perspective on any given issue. That's why I think that the outcast from Next Generation is an attempt at doing a same-sex relationship and that it failed on that point because the Janai woman slash person wasn't formulated in the right way. It's why I feel from our 90s, 2000s Star Trek perspective, they uh, dropped the ball on a lot of different issues. Um, I don't know if you know this, but David Gerald, who wrote the original series episode, The Trouble with Tribbles, actually had a uh, season one episode of Next Gen called Blood and Ice, which was supposed to introduce the first gay couple on the Enterprise and Gene Roddenberry had promised it and then had to take it away because the network executives said that they wouldn't do it and I guess Gene was already on uh, Rocky Slopes anyway so that never got made um, and then David Gerald left Next Generation but uh, he ended up making that episode with us uh as uh, Star Trek Phase 2, the episode is entitled uh, Blood and Fire. It's a two-part episode. Uh, Peter Kirk is Kirk's nephew and is gay. Um, it was written as an allegory for HIV-AIDS. But I'm glad now with current Star Trek, with Picard and Discovery, that we have a mixture of people with different backgrounds, cultures, orientations, and genders in the writer's room where it's not just the one perspective you get a ton of perspectives um, whatever you create will have different spices and flavors where someone anywhere can find themselves in a thread of the tapestry of what you create yeah I agree I think that there is and I'm not sure if Star Trek is willing to do it I would love to see a representation on Star Trek of the conservative Christian 
point of view. And I think that it would be an interesting place to go to show that you can have differing or conservative Muslim point or any conservative religious point of view that you can have differing ways of thinking without getting into being biased and prejudiced. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I feel like there has not been a real attack. And you know, frankly, Star Trek is has always been interested in, in attacking those parts of society that we are comfortable with that maybe are not inherently good and telling us to re-examine it. And that's what Star Trek has always wanted to do. Of course, you have you know, how, how to deal with the disabled, how to deal with differences in race uh, and the original series, of course, uh, and, and, and through and through. And I think that I would love to see the point of view of, uh, and again, you can do it, couch in alien, in, in alien things, but I would love to see there be an episode where there's somebody who holds these beliefs about what is right and wrong regarding a section of morality that doesn't hurt anybody. And that is, you know, whether it is, and I think, you know, orientation is the way, is the way to go if you really want to make the allegory hit home, but it could be for anything. And I think about my friendships with my, so I, I hail from the Washington DC area. It's where I, it's where I'm sort of from. And there's an incredibly high, concentration of the Mormon population here. And most, uh, not most, but quite a few of my best friends in high school were in fact Mormon. And the interesting thing about being friends with Mormons is that you come to the realization that while they don't drink coffee and they don't drink alcohol, because that's a big thing in the Mormon faith, right? That you don't drink coffee and you don't drink alcohol. They are totally good with you drinking coffee and alcohol in front of them. They'll go to Starbucks with you and they'll get an ice water and they'll get an ice water and a scone. They'll sit with you while you're drinking coffee. They don't care. And if they're at your house and you have a beer, they'll have a, they'll have a Coke and they'll be fine. And they don't care. And I would love to see a presentation within Star Trek that speaks to maybe, because there are, look, Star Trek being morality plays, I can't tell you how many people I knew who were almost like, it's almost idiopathic, right? It's almost like, how can you possibly be a right wing conservative and also be a Star Trek fan, which is such a progressive show. But yet I knew a lot, of, a lot of my friends who were, who would consider themselves to be conservative Christians who watched the show. And I would love there to be, an episode of Star Trek that deals with the idea of, hey, within your own sets of beliefs, whatever it is that you want to believe for you to do, if you subscribe to that belief, if you if you belong to this club and this club says you can't do A, B, and C and you choose to be part of this club, good for you. But if you don't belong to the club, at no point should you tell them that they need to do A, B, and C because they're not part of your club. And my Mormon friends really got that when it came to the coffee and alcohol thing. They were like, hey, you're not Mormon. Do as you're going to do. None of our business. 
because you're not Mormon. If you were Mormon, I might say, hey, you're Mormon. You can't drink those things. Sorry. But if you're not, go for it. We're still friends. I don't care what you do if you're not part of my club. And I would love to see that issue because it's a really key issue today. And if Star Trek's going to tackle societal norms, I think it's done a really good job of presenting people of color, people of, uh, you, know, you know, women, uh, pe- you know, the LGBTQ community. I think it's done a really good job is of doing the first step of going, hey, you're people, you're humans. You have souls and lives and loves and you're not some other, you know, you're not out there like, oh, I'm gay in the workplace, but at home I'm doing crazy Satan worship. No, you're going home and you're loving your spouse and, 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 you know, brushing your teeth and, and eating dinner and having dreams of a good vacation or something one day. Like it's, it's, it's Star Trek has done such a good job of presenting as people. I do think it would, it could maybe take a next step to go, Hey, you might know people who believe things that are different than you. And that's okay. You should all be friends. And I would love maybe just to see, you know, what happens if there is a, a, it could be something as simple as a, have a Muslim character on the show who, who is devout in their beliefs, who can absolutely be friends with an atheist. And the two of them, you know, every atheist believes every theist is believing in fairy tales and every theist believes that every atheist is denying God that those two things both occur when a theist and an atheist are friends and you can go okay I think that I think that good let's put that to the side and let's care for each other and I would love to see that presented in some sort of allegorical way because I think that's a message that maybe could go a step further and so I I know I'm way off topic but when we're talking about presentations of things I feel like it is the maybe necessary next step that Star Trek could take to go, hey, we can think and feel differently than one another. And we can go, oh, I would never do that. But if you're going to do that and it doesn't hurt me, none of my business, go for it. And let's still care and love one another. And I'm sorry, that's my, you know, and, you know, slash and soapbox for now. We're going to, go to our favorite main character and our favorite recurring character because Deep Space Nine is replete with recurring characters that might as well be our main characters or they're featured as much as the main characters. So Justin, if you don't mind, you want to go first? Uh, you go, you go, you go first. Cause I just had, I just talked for like five straight minutes about the sociopolitical implications of Star Trek and, and yeah, you go first. So my favorite main character is Jadzia. Um, I love the old man. She's got multiple lifetimes of experience. Her relationship with Ben Sisko, both as Curzon and then Jadzia, and then eventually Ezri. Um, I honestly thought before Worf came that her and Julian should have ended up together. But you know that's beside the point and i love Worf too but to me he's not a main character and he's not a recurring character he's just a transplanted character from a different series um but with jedzia it was awesome for me to see terry farrell who was so uncomfortable at first as the old man 
and I think it was like her second or third acting job and she had to go up against Avery Brooks who as we all know is so freaking intense and just seeing the journey of both Jadzia and Dax who was newly joined to see her eventually be so comfortable in her skin by season 3 and then a badass Klingon changed her life uh, don't get me wrong I love Ezri and, but I would have loved to see Jadzia in that last season with our characters and I know that there was all that behind the scenes stuff where uh, Terry Farrell was given a take it or leave it offer um, and she left it and that's why she was killed off at the end of season 6 but that's who my main character is my recurring character may not be much of a surprise but I like plain simple Garrick um, Garris, Garrick gives us so many things whether it be his relationships with constable odo in episodes like improbable cause and dies cast or dr Bashir in the wire or all those talks that they had on the promenade or his beef with gold ducat which we never get the whole story of that and his relationship with zial um you never know what you were going to get with garrick until they were on cardassia with damar and kira in a Nobrentane's house on uh, at the end of the series uh, with Garrick I think what I liked most about Garrick was you never know what you were going to get from him from moment to moment yeah I think that your take on Judzi is great I think that I have a problem with her first three seasons of portrayal and then she's really good for three seasons and then she's gone so it's hard for her to be my favorite in that half of the stuff she does, I don't like. And I like where she goes. I think a real strong case could be made for Cisco. I think sometimes he's not what you need him to be, especially the first three seasons. But the second four seasons, when they just let Avery Brooks do Avery Brooks, he is just phenomenal and incredible to watch and so different than Picard and Kirk. He really carves out his own niche and I really like them. I think a case could be made for him as well. But I'm going to have to go with Odo for my favorite main. I think that, that Odo grows and changes. He can show so much with just a, a, a look. His, the depth of emotion that he's able to convey through the makeup. The, the outsider character. You know, He's the Data Spock character on the show. And that's always been the one that I always loved and gravita gravitated toward. His humor the the smarminess that he would have with quark you know when he was just kind of being a jerk and liking being a jerk i just garrick you blew up your own shop oh it's so it's so great and when he smiles because he's giving quark it's so fun so i'm gonna have to go with odo also because he has probably the widest character arc on the show my favorite recurring character, this is tough, and I think a real good case could be made for Garrick. Garrick is an astounding character, and and Andrew Robertson does such a great job portraying him. But I'm going to say Gul Dukat as my favorite 
that was going to be my second choice. Um, I don't understand, especially with the weird skin that he has and the way that he's just so... I don't understand why Mark Alemo is not like the go-to... I don't know why he's not Robert De Niro. I don't know why he is not the go-to villain at least in that era of TV, I don't know why, or, or movies, I don't know why he's showing up for two lines in Total Recall. I don't get it. I think that he is hands down brilliant all the time in every scene he's in from the very first scene in the very first episode to the very last scene in the very last episode. He never is not, as an actor, just fascinating to watch. I love it when he becomes a good guy. I love it when he betrays being a good guy to become the worst. I love it when he's out of the makeup. I love it when he thinks that he's self-righteous. I love it when he's crazy. I love it when he's just crazy like a fox. I love every word that that man speaks in character. When he's on the screen, I am electrified. I think a case can absolutely be made Especially now that Giorgio is a a full on good guy, I think a case can be made that he is the best bad guy in all of Star Trek. In every iteration, more than Khan, more than Q, more than the Borg Queen, more than the Mirror Universe, more than Killy, more than the 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 evil Romulans, more than the the bad guys on Picard, more than anyone ever. I think that that Ducat just takes the cake. He's great always. A plus plus at all time. Even in bad episodes, even in like really terrible episodes, and there are some. And even when his character does things that I don't really like, he is he is like the like the Robert Duvall of Star Trek. Robert Duvall or Michael Caine. Michael Caine's a better example. Michael Caine is in some terrible crap. Michael Caine is in awful, awful movies, but he's never awful in them. He's always good. He's whether he's top notch at the Dark Knight or like him in the mission, where where he is just top notch acting in top notch movies, all the way down to crap. It doesn't matter when he's on the screen, it's good. Um so yeah, Marco Lemo as Golducott, far and away my my one of my favorite characters in all of fiction. Well, I I honestly, and you may agree with me, I was heartbroken for Ducat when Zial was killed. Like, like oh my gosh, the way he broke. I couldn't imagine going through that like a parent, or even as another family member. Stay with me. Stay with me. Oh, it's just, it's just, yeah. I, I, and again, oh, I'm sorry. Just, just keep in mind, this is a, this is new on TV that you would have a character for this long and a character that you watch become this rich. And I'm sitting there when I'm watching it for the first time, just going, I, I mean, on television, I'd never felt anything like it. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Please continue. That's okay. I was just about to say, especially in the break when he goes, I forgive you, my beautiful girl. Oh, and I geez. forgive you, too, oh, to Cisco with the baseball. Yeah. All that, just, I always wait for those types of moments, either in television episodes or 
movies or even reading books because those types of character moments are what drives me to those episodes yeah i think you know it's funny i know i keep bringing up buffy and people give season six of buffy a really hard time but spoiler alert for season six of buffy if you haven't seen it you skip skip ahead on the podcast for 30 seconds i won't talk about it for more than that starting now at the end of season six of buffy willow turns bad and and there's about four or five episodes where you have to deal with evil willow and it is just captivating captivating long form storytelling in television and i considered the entire arc of deep space deep space nine where they've taken over the station all the way to where the station is retaken i think that is your prototype for um for discovery or for stranger things or for daredevil the way that that shows are presented now and like here's eight episodes of premium television to tell one big story. I think that that section of TV is the first time it's like a mini series within a series. It's the first time I've ever seen it done so incredibly vastly. Well, I think that it, that section of TV you're talking about that ends of course with ZL's death um, with the sacrifice of angels. It is just far and away. Some of the best television ever produced in the history of the media. I mean, it's tough to pick favorite episodes of star trek in general and especially with deep space nine you have like the eight slash nine episode arc to cap out the series then you have um the first three-parter in trek history at the beginning of season two which i thought was awesome your great standalones like the visitor like which actually didn't make my list i kind of made like a list of five episodes Sure. What are your five? Give me give me your five. I'm really interested in hearing your your top five episodes. Not in any particular order. There are two two parters that I just counted as one because it's one complete story. Fair. So the wire and the way of the warrior, if only because you get today is a good day to die in Klingon for the first time. I'm pretty sure, if not the first time, it's the second time. Um, obviously, In the Pale Moonlight had to be on the list. I love the journalistic style you get with Cisco telling the story and then erasing it after he can live with yeah. the, decision, the decisions he made in the episode. Uh, Improbable Cause, the die is cast. Uh, I love the pairing of Garrick and Odo. Uh, you finally get also a piece of who Tane is to Garrick for realsies. Yeah, I don't it, it that those episodes as, as a Romulan, those episodes hurt a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> they should. Um then Homefront slash Paradise Lost because Joseph Sisko, the changeling threat and the defiant going ham on an Excelsior class ship. Why are they still in service? We don't know. And just as an honorable mention, because I love Klingon mythology and I love the whole wedding thing, you are cordially invited. Yeah, that's fine. 
That's why, actually that's one of the Klingons I worked on. One of the bits they would do, they would go, they would go. Anyone who wants to visit Kronos, this is what you must know. One, the phrase "nukta o kuchka e," which means "where is a restaurant." Do not confuse it with "nukta o kuka e," which where is the restroom. Although, if you're unfamiliar with Klingon food, you not might not be able to tell the difference. And that was the that was the gag that they would do when they were talking to humans. And I and I never I never forgot it. Um, so it's interesting. Your top five. None of my top five are on your top five except for In the Pale Moonlight. Um, in the Pale Moonlight is is. Mm, I figured as in, much. Yeah, it's it it belongs on top five episodes of all TV anywhere, and I defy you to argue with any of my top five because they are all. It, it says something about a show where I can have a different top five, and my top five is a top six because I couldn't leave one off. In the Pale Moonlight, it, I'll make that the one I leave off because you've already done it. So the other five that I would do. Far Beyond the Stars. Mm, yeah, I love that episode too. Is just because it's in my mind and it's real to me. It's just so good. It's so good. It's a really it it this. And he's so good. And the 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 message that it sends and seeing it's always fun to see people out of makeup. So yeah, that's fun. Uh, Sacrifice of Angels is up there on my list. The one that we just discussed. Again, the retaking the station. The action's incredible. The drama's incredible. It's a little rushed with the Kira part of it, but I still think it's a it's incredibly effective. Um, uh, the Visitor is on my top five. Um, I call my dad after I watch it every single time. Uh, at the end, I'm like, Dad, how are you? He's like, did you watch the Star Trek thing again? I was like, yeah. Don't die. Uh, you know, so that's that's you know it always gets me. The visitor and and the inner light are kind of the two episodes we put next to each other as as just being able to show how Star Trek can get to your to your heart. Trials and tribulations, just because it's so fun, and I almost because I only wanted to put one funny one in there, but I really think Take Me Out to the Hall Suite is also super fun too. If you want to choose. A just ridiculous, let's have fun episode. Trials and Tribulations are taking me out to the Hall Suite. Just shows that Deep Space Nine can operate on a comedy level as well. And I dig it. Um, and then What You Leave Behind is... I, the, I know it's maudlin and I know it's a cheap shot to have the, the, uh, the music, the swelling of the music playing in the background as everyone's putting stuff away. I know that it's uncomfortable that they don't even have a single shot of Jadzia on there. I know, but it's so good. It's so good. The series wraps up so well. And that episode, I have to sit down. I have to prepare myself because it's always at the end of my rewatch where I've been watching one or two a day. I have to get ready for it. I'm sort of done for like an hour afterward. So a show that can move me that much. How can that not be on my top five? So those are, those are mine. And if you and I both had to toss out our top five and go, okay, you can't choose those. It would take us all of like 45 seconds to come up with five more episodes. You know, like you could go, Oh, the Jim Hadar. That's really good. You're right. Yeah. It's just like, I, I could just come up with five more I, I, off the top of my head. We're like, Oh, this is also really, really, really good. You know, choose one of the section 31 episodes. Like there, it's, there's a bunch Waltz. Oh, Waltz. Waltz is great. Um, 
I'm trying to think of the the last section 31 episode where they're in Sloane's mind. I think that's really a fascinating, fascinating episode. Um, I mean, there's that. Yeah. You, you could go on and on and like, I don't want to step on any other questions that you have uh, later, but this is, yeah, it's just so, it's so incredibly great. Death to the opposition. Oh my God. <laughs> have you ever seen, have you ever seen the Saturday night live skit? from next gen love boat the next generation no i haven't but i've seen the comic relief thing that they did um with next gen who what kind of a name is who oh my gosh you should see you should see look it up on youtube it's patrick stewart is hosting next gen and there are two things he does one he or hosting uh saturday night live the first thing he does is he tries and to do the space the final frontier thing from memory which he just gets wrong this goes space the last frontier these are the trips of the star trek enterprise it's continuing mission to seek out strangers in new worlds to find life and civilizations to boldly fly where no man has flown in space it's just like, it's so great. But the other thing they do is they do, because if you ever watched The Love Boat, Pat, uh, Captain Steubing on The Love Boat also had the bald head with the with the white on the sides. So they did Love Boat the next generation with the, with Patrick Stewart was the only one actually doing his character, doing Picard. Everybody else was like, Phil Hartman was Worf. And, and, and Worf beams in. He goes, Worf, I need to talk to you. What is it, sir? What? You keep frightening the you keep frightening the passengers when you beat them on the shuffleboard. I must defeat all who oppose me, Captain. But Worf, women and children, the weak and cowardly have no place in shuffleboard. It's so great. It's so very, very, very good. Um, and it's just worth it's worth a watch, just for fun. In battle, there's nothing more honorable than victory. So it's so really fun. Also, I looked up on Saturday Night Live, Chris Pine doing Shatner on the original series. They like Chris Pine hosted Saturday Night Live and they did the original series and it's him as Kirk and he doesn't do your typical Shatner that we might do. He nails the tone of the voice. The breathing is not like it's not like Jim Carrey doing it. It's like it's dead on if you closed your eyes, you would believe that it was William Shatner and because Chris Pine bears a resemblance to young Captain Kirk and has been also his own version of Kirk. It's really sort of disconcerting to see him do such a dead on Shatner on Saturday Night Live. It's also worth a YouTube if you have. I don't know what you're talking about, especially because I'm the only William Shatner that you need to be talking <laughs> to because I'm, um, I'm, um, you know, me. You do. You, you, you get the nasal resonance of him that I can't. My voice is too, my, my voice resonates too much in my, my chest to get, there's something about you. Yeah. You've got like the, the exact timber of the voice. It's really cool. You should anyway, check your Chris Pine. Anyway, what else you have about Deep Space Nine? We are so off topic, which is what I do. I'm sorry. No more coffee for me. Justin, do you have any final thoughts on Deep Space Nine other than that you and I think it's an amazing show Although for me, I have no favorite since the 90s shows and the original series are my shows because I grew up on all four of them. 
like any day one of those shows yes even voyager can be my favorite that particular day i could be in the mood for so what are your final thoughts my friend on that little globe by bajor i think that modern day television is produced in such a way that they do what's called set extensions so when you're watching discovery half the bridge isn't even there. They just have the seats and some props and then green screens. And it's just, they figured out how to do that. Especially now that you're producing things like the Mandalorian where they're not even doing green screens. What they have behind you is, is, is a super, a super high def led screen that's behind them. That makes everything look incredibly real. I bring that up because D space nine, the way it was produced and the size of the sets, it's not like next gen where you can kind of redo it it's so big and and so important of a thing that until now it was not possible to have it redone. You could not revisit Deep Space Nine, even for an episode 15 years ago. It just, you couldn't do it because it would be cost prohibitive. I will tell you with Picard, yeah, like Voyager, I was a show I have a lot, a, a big problem with, but Picard went a long way to take some of the issues from Voyager and redeem them. Having Seven of Nine on Picard was a brilliant, brilliant choice. Um, and I think that we're in an era of Star Trek where I think you could revisit DS9 now. And that's my thought on my fight. My closing thought on DS9 is Paramount or CBS or Viacom or whoever you are who owns it now. Guys, listen, you can do Deep Space Nine now. You don't have to build the sets anymore. You can have virtual sets that will look as good as what we had. And getting the Defiant back, super easy to do. And you could do it really, really well. And I think that I would love to see the granddaddy of modern television because it really is one of them. It's one of the first shows that did modern TV. I would love to see it reentered. I just wanted, I would like one episode and I know there are books and I've read them, but I like one episode to catch up and just see how everyone's doing. I would just, I want to see these characters again. I want to, to know what their lives have been like Outside of the chronology of books, I want to see Alexander Siddig as Bashir again. I want to see Ezri. I want I want to revisit these people's lives. And I think that we could do it. And does it have to be a DS9 show? No. Picard could go to Deep Space Nine for a couple of episodes and then bring a character along with him on his journey. Why not? I don't see a reason not to give us more Deep Space Nine. There's enough of us that it would be a prestige event for us and it could be done with so much less cost than it would have cost you 15 years ago. So bring it back guys. I'm desperate for it. Give me back my D space nine. That's my final thought on DS9. So I'm going to second you on bringing back deep space nine. If only for the fact that I watched what we left behind the deep space nine documentary. And I watched that. And I was particularly taken by the writer's room. And I've never been in one. I've only seen like, hey, this is the whiteboard. This is how we're mapping out the episodes or the the season type of deal when I used to do production. Uh, but to hear those guys plan out the first episode of what would have been an eighth season of Deep Space Nine... And grant you, we don't have Aaron Eisenberg or Rene Herbergenois for Nog and Odo, respectively. But I was taken by the story, and I want to know what the story 
or how the story would go. Why was Nog killed? And if you could get Avery Brooks back, but I think he's retired, I would love to see him as back as Cisco or as a prophet, you know, guiding the hands of everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And and frankly, I would love to see I would love to see the sociopolitical stuff happening on Bajor too. I would love to see like how cool would it be if like there's a Cardassian first officer and you're like, what? How is that? Like, I would love to just see the evolution of, of that storytelling. And Ron Moore has done modern TV. Let's not forget that Battlestar, which is what Voyager was supposed to be, it was incredible. And I think that he could easily come back. He's doing modern TV now. Bron and Braga also doing modern TV now. Um, all these people have modern hits. They know how to make modern television. You know, Erisir Mayor also has modern TV that he does. They all want to do it. So let him come back. Get get a, a person of color in there to give a different perspective. Get, you know, get someone from the from the LGBTQ community in there. Get, you know, a few women in there. Make it so that you have a more varied writer's room, but that at the head of this, you know, you have more and bare and and they're in there to also give the D Stein flavor and bring that show into the modern era. I think it could be done. I know, look, we know you up there, heads. We know that you're big listeners to this podcast and also Trek Off. We know you're listening right now. So do it. That's what I have. Well, that's what I have too. And to quote Forrest Gump, and that's all I've got to say about that. <laughs> so justin before i let you go i've had so much fun talking about deep space nine and everything else that we've talked along the way but if somebody wanted to listen to your podcasts or get a hold of you where in the galaxy can they find you absolutely um so I would be a sucker if I didn't promote some stuff since I have the opportunity to do so. I know Christmas is over, guys, but that doesn't mean that you can't watch one last Christmas movie. There is a movie on Amazon Prime right now written and directed by myself. Just came out a couple of months ago. It's called A Christmas Cancellation. Multi-award winning. It's got all these best pictures and best, you know, and best actor things from all these festivals. I wrote and directed it and it's very good. No best writing and directing awards yet. I have some honorable mentions. I'm a little hurt that my best actress keeps getting one and I don't get a personal one, but I'm fine. Um, no, joking aside, it is a very good movie and I really want you to see it. If you're listening to this next couple months, you'll also find either on the festival circuit or coming up on Amazon Prime, the short film that I wrote and directed, The Distanced. Um, and of course, my original trilogy of, of films, uh, Ninjas vs. Zombies, Ninjas vs. Vampires, and Ninjas vs. Monsters are available. Uh, the first two on Amazon Prime and Ninjas vs. Monsters available for free on Vudu. This Trek Off podcast and Totally Super available on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. You listen, just look up Trek Off, T-R-E-K-O-F-F, or Totally Super, where we review every superhero movie ever made. You can find those there. Uh, Justin Timpain on Facebook, at Ninja Director. 
Uh, get it. I'm a ninja director. I direct ninjas. I'm even, look, you, you can't see out there in, in, in the land, but Jamie can see that I'm wearing my ninjas versus zombie shirt today. Um, you can find me on there. Uh, I have um, some writing stuff. If you're listening in 2022, you're catching up on this podcast. There's probably going to be a book out there by me as well. Um, Cause that's what I'm writing right now. So lots of stuff for you to see, uh, listen to. If you like, uh, music uh i got some i got an album on spotify just look for me i'm out there contact me i will talk to you i'm lonely i'm here i'm stuck in my house i haven't been out since last march help that makes two of us i haven't been out since last march either it was my birthday you've been in my house since march what <laughs> shh don't tell anybody but anyway shh, jay Thank you so much for coming. I hope you had as much fun. Jay? Well, you're a Jay, and I'm a Jay, and everybody's a Jay. Whoa, there we go. Uh-oh. We're the same person. I do incredible voices. Exactly. Just like you. Oh, my. We are all part of the collective. <laughs> so, like I was saying... I hope you had as much fun with me as I did with you today on the podcast. Absolutely. Behind the scenes, right right before the podcast, everything fell apart with what I was going to do. Like the whole recording apparatus that I was going to do, it just fell to pieces. And you were so patient about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful to you and to your listeners for putting up with my ramblings. But hopefully you had fun. I did have fun. And the next time... When I finish rewatching Buffy, we're going to do Buffy. Oh my gosh, I have stories to tell. I have stories to tell. All right, and as we say on uh, on my po- oh, can I can I have one PG rated curse word? Justin, you can have whatever you want. So Alexia allows me when I go on other shows to end as she would end, uh, and we would say trek off, bitches. Okay, fellas, let's do it. Once again, I want to thank Justin for coming on to the podcast. And before I let you all go, make sure you guys go check out Justin's podcast. First, Trek Off with Alexia and Totally Super, which is a podcast where he reviews with his friend um, all the superhero movies. Don't forget to check out Sci-Fi Distilled with my two friends, Mike Rizzo and Mary Beth. If you haven't already, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Remember, you can get it on Google. You can get it on uh, iTunes, Anchor. We're on Spotify. Make sure you go find those over there. You can get a hold of us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Fez Talks. Some with dot, dot, dots. Or you can get a hold of us the old-fashioned way at feztalks at gmail.com. Until next time, we'll leave you with Captain Cisco and Vic Fontaine. Captain, can you join me? What? Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything started to hum Still it's a real good bet The best is yet to come
The best is yet to come And babe, won't it be fine You think you've seen the sun But you ain't seen it shine Wait till the warm-up's underway Wait till our lips have met Wait till you see that sunshine day You ain't seen nothing yet The best is yet to come and be Won't it be fine The best is yet to come Come the day you're mine Wait till your charms are right For these arms to surround You think you've flown before But you ain't left the ground Now wait till you're locked in my embrace Wait till I draw you near Wait till you see that sunshine place The best is yet to come And babe, won't it be fine The best is yet to come 